Hey friends, I appreciate you tuning into the Deal Farm podcast where I hope you feel at least mildly entertained and possibly even inspired to take big action towards improving your life and your business. On this episode, Kevin and I sit down with Bill Crawford, an entrepreneur out of San Diego, California that grew his business into a multi-million dollar company over a 30-year time span. Hope you stay tuned in as Bill drops a ton of great lessons about leadership, entrepreneurship, and priorities that he's learned along the way. See you on the other side. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. How about you, Ken? I don't think I could be any better. I think you could be better. There could be donuts. If there, were, if there were donuts, maybe slightly better. Uh, but then I'd feel bad at the end of the day because I would have put on a pound and been like, what am I doing? It's almost spring break. I'm going on a cruise and here I am putting on weight. And then yeah. I'd be miserable. So no, I didn't eat a donut today. I feel pretty good. You'd feel great and you'd live with regret. So better that you're not living with regret and you have that cruise to look forward to. Except for yesterday was Anita's birthday and I just tore it up. I like completely used it as an excuse to, we have, you know what a Kringle is? Have you heard of Kringle? Is that like a Kris Kringle? It's like, no, it's not like a Kris Kringle. It's one of those like giant circular Danishes that come from Wisconsin. Uh, yeah. You're in Woodstock. You're not in, how did you get one of those? Uh, Trader Joe's. Yeah. You know, Anita's uh, at Trader right. Joe's almost every day. And sure enough, they, whenever they bring in the Kringles, and here's what's even funnier is she bought the Kringle and knew better than to bring it home. So she hid it at uh, our parents' house yeah. in their freezer and waited till her birthday to tell me that it was over there. <laughs> and then funny. pulled it out. <laughs> then they pulled it out. I was like, what? You had a Kringle over here this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great cheat, cheat day. It's a cheat oh, day. Man, her birthday ended up being my cheat day. Well, then we took her to Persian food last night, like took her oh, parents out, got some roomies, and just, again, just completely tore it up. So Cheat day. Cheat all day day. Well, you got the rest of the week to catch back up, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We'll see if I can behave the rest of the week or not. Good luck with that. Hey, I'm super excited about our uh, our guest today. Um, Me too. You've been talking about him for years. I feel like you and I've had conversations about Bill multiple times, and now we get to, I get to meet him and talk to him and the super successful uh, business owner. This is great. I'm I'm really excited for you to meet him. So Bill Crawford, right? So let me rewind a little bit. So, uh, so as you know, our listeners probably don't know, but way back 2019, I accepted the role of president at a college. Uh, out in San Diego, right? And so I, I became the president of this college back in 2019. And Bill Crawford had been serving on the board of trustees. Bill, very successful business person, businessman. He uh, built a, a business from scratch into a behemoth. I mean, it's it, it, you'd be amazed in the circles that, that he's been a part of. And uh, he was on the board of trustees, was part of the search committee, guy who hired me. And uh, as I got to know him, I was like, you know what? I'll take on this role as president, but I want Bill to stick around. I want him to mentor me. I want him to build into me. And uh, so that was sort of my deal. It was a package deal. I'll, I'll come be the president in San Diego if he'll stick around. And he agreed. He agreed to. He became uh, our, our COO, and he and I worked alongside each other really well. Loved my time with Bill. Learned so much from him. And uh, like you said, you've heard me talk about him for a long time. I just, I'm so excited you finally get a chance to meet him. Well, and I have a feeling uh, somebody that's – a little bit farther down in years and more experience in the business world is just going to drop so much good information on us. I just yeah. feel that it's come. And I would kind of want to take up the entire podcast to just pick this guy's brain. So, so get this yesterday. 
So he's he's retired a few times over, right? And he's done a, a few different things. So he's doing some stuff on the side right now. Yesterday, he was with the nation's largest military contractor pitching a hundred, it was over a hundred million dollar deal to the president of this multi-billion dollar company. Got it. And so I'm talking to him yesterday. Hey, you want to be on the podcast? He's like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like he just walks out of this huge deal. Uh, we're really lucky, really lucky to have Bill Crawford. Uh, amazing guy. Very humble. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy your time with him today. That's incredible, man. We'll go ahead and uh, bring him on. All right, let's bring him in. All right, welcome to the podcast, Bill Crawford. Man, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for the ask. Yeah, so Bill and I, you know, we've known each other a long time. At least it feels like it's a long time. And uh, I, I don't know many people who've had as many experiences. I've learned so much from this guy. Bill, I was thinking today, just take us back in time. Uh, when you started your first business, uh, when you took that step and and actually started your own gig, tell us about that. How did that happen? Starting your first business and then and then growing it. You talking about when I used to mow lawns when I was eight years old, or uh... <laughs> all the way back? We want to go all there. The way back. Yeah, Ken's right. first job, just so you know, Ken's first job was selling bags of chips at school. My mom would buy chips and candy, and he'd he'd subdivide it and make money at school as a first grader. I think. True story. And then Sam's, then we'd buy candy at Sam's and turn around and, and deal that out of the locker. Yeah, it's it has to start somewhere, that entrepreneurship gene, that is right? Exactly, that's exactly where it started. Okay, well, how about, we'll fast forward a little bit, maybe in adulthood, your first real business where you actually had to pay taxes. <laughs> got it, got it. Well, um, 1987 is uh, really when we got started in our own business. And prior to that, my wife and I were both working uh, for the same individual, two companies, they were related to one another in the office interior and uh, furniture uh, industry, uh, basically working with um, commercial companies and businesses and, um, you know, designing their new office space form, relocation, things like that. <laughs> and um, the he, he actually ended up going totally bankrupt in uh, early 87, and uh, we had just gotten married, had a, had bought in our first house, and had our first child on the way when we both lost our job. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a uh, huge challenge and a lot of motivation to figure something out and to figure it out quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I look at those challenges and you got uh, you got two choices, right? You either figure out how to move from it really quickly or probably succumb to the challenge and um, let the challenge beat you. So um, I reached out to the manufacturer that we work for as well as some customers that we had because when the companies went out of business, they were right in the middle of projects. And being the operations manager at that time, I knew all the projects intimately well and uh, went to all of the participants and uh, was able to negotiate uh, contracts and work to finish their projects out. Um, so that was really the beginning of it. And uh, it was it was nice. I didn't miss too many paychecks that way and um, had to create a company uh, from scratch, which I had never done before. And so we created a corporation, you know, did the I don't even know if they still do it. Fictitious name statement, everything you got to do, corporate charters, 
get it all set up and uh, try to try to get that done as quickly as possible. So you actually had a bank account to operate from um, and, um, you know, just just move. Uh, necessity uh, definitely was the motivation to uh, move and move quickly. If my math is right, you, you'd have been in your 20s, right? If you'd probably been in your 20s, you got a new baby on the way, you got a more 25 years old. Wow. New wife, yeah. And and here you're going to existing client. You're going from an employee to starting a business, trying to salvage those business relationships you'd already been servicing, and then create a company on top of it and learn all that as you go. That is uh, 100% correct. Yep. Now, fortunately for me, my wife was a CFO. Um, and so the accounting side, she had down, right? So at least that was uh, one of the greatest assets that I had was I had somebody who knew the numbers, right? And could manage the finance side of the organization. And I, I have found through my um, 40 years of business history, that's a challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, you know, you might get started, maybe you're great in sales, uh, maybe you've got a great idea, but managing the money and the reporting sign that is required in a business, uh, that's a big challenge that I think um, a lot of times uh, people underestimate. And it was probably one of our greatest advantages because uh, my wife, Bobby, and I were partners in life and uh, partners in business. And uh, that gave me a huge advantage. As you think back, what, go ahead, Ken. Well, I was just going to say, maybe tell us the nature of the business. What what did that look like in the 80s? What exactly were you doing and who were your clients? So um, I started out, we, we built a service company first. So the service company, we most of our focus and our expertise was in modular walls and modular workstations, right? The cubicle environment, if you will which most offices in the 80s were really um, uh, were really embracing, right? We were putting a lot more of that in. Businesses were growing um, all over the place, and it was just a lot faster and cheaper than doing drywall and hard, hard offices everywhere. So, and that required a, a, a high level of expertise because it was, a, it was a pretty new industry. You know, modular furniture probably had only been around since maybe the late 70s, but definitely early 80s when it became prominent. Uh, so we were pretty early on that side. So um, you might have all those cubicles or workstations. You just, you know, there, there's no way you were going to figure out how to put it together on your own. Uh, so we built that side of it first because that's also what the customers needed. You know, they got caught in the middle of this, uh, these two companies that went out of business. And so being able to take advantage of that, um, that need um, and then build our organization around it. And that's where I'd spent my time in operations um, running a service company that specialized in that arena. So I had credibility in that field because I had worked in that field for this other owner for about three years. I had the knowledge and expertise in it. And I had some of those relationships with the manufacturers who made the product, um, design and architectural firms who specified the product, and then the customers themselves who bought or owned the product. So that was uh, that was the reason why I took that path. It just seemed to make the most sense uh, where I was sitting at at that particular point in time. Was there 
was there any point in time where you're like, no, there's a reason that, you know, the, my previous owner went out of business and here I'm going into the same business that he was in and failed at. What made you think that, well, he couldn't do it, but I can do it. Yeah. You know, that's a great question. So one of the things I did when in his bankruptcy and shutting down his two businesses and that, that process probably took about six to eight weeks of shutting everything down. Well, I stayed there and worked with him. I was like the only one. I mean, the employees didn't get paid. You know, everybody's gone. And I came every day uh, to his office and his locations, helping him shut everything down. And he said, Bill, what are you doing here? He said, you know, I can't pay you. I said, I'm using you. And he said, using me? He said, how do you figure? And I said, I don't ever want to go through this with my own money in my own organizations. So understanding what happens in a bankruptcy, I said, you can't buy this kind of experience. And I said, so I want to live it with you. So I understand it because I really felt that would be a tactical advantage going forward in my own business. Wow. How interesting. And do you feel like that education you got kind of walking helped you understand, okay, here's what I need to do in this business. Here's what I need to be careful of. Here are the pitfalls and sort of gave you that leg up starting the business. There's probably an invaluable education for you. hundred percent. Um, you know, part of it too, is that, you know, you think about statistically, when you look at the math about the success rate of businesses, right? The failure rate within the first year, the failure rate within the first five years, you know, you're taking on a big challenge to start with. And one of the things I wanted to learn was, all right, if you did have to shut down your business, how do you do it in a, how do you do it in a way where you can still, um, still own the relationships? Quite truthfully, how do you do it without betraying trust that your customers and your employees had on you, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, one of the things I learned be like, man, if you get in that situation, you got to figure out how to pay your employees because if you're going to go bankrupt and you can't pay your employees, that kind of ill will and black mark, you're not going to be able to shake somewhere else, right? right? And that same goes with the customer, right? You burnt those customers. And so, you know, you're going to have that. Um, when, when you do something right, hardly anybody notices, right? You do something <laughs> wrong. And everybody shares that in the marketplace. And so that's a huge, huge challenge. I think the other thing too, is that it gave me weeks of just working side by side with him and just asking him the questions, right? Where do you think you went wrong? Where did, where did we go wrong? Right. I, I worked for him, right? What did we yeah. miss? Right. And, uh, you know, part of it was just not be prepared for a slowdown, right? We had, we had great momentum. Uh, but then we hit a slowdown and not having uh, the resources to weather that storm uh, from a financial um, aspect for one, right? You need cash flow. Yep. And, you know, so I learned a lot of those things about, you know, having customers and work and business out in the future, right? How good are you forecasting? It isn't just about planning, but, you know, are you developing your network? Are you developing proposals? Are you developing your business? Because, you know, you're working on your business today, but if you're not working on your business tomorrow, at the same time you're working today, as soon as you finish today's work, nothing's happening tomorrow because you didn't spend any time investing and cultivating that next uh, that next phase or that next month or that next year worth of business. I mean, I, I tell you what, truer words have never been spoken for. 
the small solo entrepreneurs, especially in real, it's very applicable to real estate because agents, real estate investors get stuck in this rut of I'm going to market, market, market. I'm busy, busy, busy. And then they finish the work. And then that's all of a sudden everything's dried up because they forgot to continue marketing. You know, right. they, they closed a couple of loans, they bought a couple of houses. And on the backside of that, it's like, well, where's my bit? And then they're starting all over again, where there has to be consistency, consistency in their marketing. It's like, you gotta be firing on all cylinders. If you're only firing on a couple, you're going to be, find yourself in the exact same situation you're describing. It's like, where's, where's my tomorrow's business. I think the other thing that comes with that too, is as soon as you start seeing that, figuring that out, that's really where it comes back to sort of the vision and what you want the business to do. Right. You know, if you you start out by thinking about, I mean, my motivation is I needed payroll. I needed money to pay for the house and the new baby on the way. Right. And so you're you're working that immediate, which is natural. But at the same time, as you're doing that, how do I think about tomorrow? Right. And it'd be like, OK, am I doing this business just for a year, for six months until I find this other job that maybe affords me some different kind of stability? Uh, whether that's working for somebody else or uh, a regular paycheck that's not dependent on your own personal skill sets? Or am I really trying to be a, build a business that's going to give me the future that I'm looking for, the security I'm looking for, the flexibility I'm looking for? Um, and I think the sooner you figure out that position for yourself and then your business, then it tells you that you should keep marketing along the way, right? I'm not just doing this for today or tomorrow and even having a vision for, well, how big do you want to grow the business, right? right. You, do you want to stay a mom and pop? Do you want to be a multi-million dollar organization? Do you want to work just locally within your own town? You know, our businesses grew up, we were working all over the country and, you know, I was on planes almost every week um, flying to customers across the U.S., on a daily basis. Yeah, Bill, talk to us about that uh, that journey. So you're 25, you're kind of in a phoenix, right? You're just rising from the ashes, a brand new business. And then if you know, we can fast forward, then you know, look ahead however many decades and you're retiring for the first time. I know it's, it's hard to retire, you get pulled back into stuff. How did you grow your business? How, how did you go from, cause you, I think what was it 2019 was your first retirement? Uh, you, you sold your business and you had it in, it was around that time. Yep. How did you grow your business? How did your business grow and evolve over time? You talk about trust. You talk about relationships. Tell us about that journey. You know, I think the the first thing that we focused on building the business was doing great work, right? Just um, reputation uh, to me was everything, right? So can you consistently deliver to the customer, doing great work for your customers, for your employees? And really just trying to do things right and be committed to that and think about the what's required of it, what's the strategies, uh, do you mean what you say? Um, one of the things I loved in those early years, too, is that we were working with some huge companies like Qualcomm. And we started with them small, just doing service. And, and then when that company blew up, you know, before they were... They were just R&D. They had just used product. They didn't have any new buildings. You know, they invented wasn't on a stadium new, yet. <laughs> new, yeah, right, exactly. you know, they invented some new technology and, you know, we were able to support that growth. And I remember we had been working with them for about, it was probably 10, 15 years. 
And the head of procurement at that time called me up. He said, Bill, he said, you're like one of the largest vendors we have. I think we were in the top three or top five vendors for them, just doing all these new buildings as they were growing. And he goes, and I looked up, he goes, we don't technically have a contract with you. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, that's true. And he goes, well, how did we get to that point? And I said, it was a handshake. And, you know, that was one of the things that I loved and I definitely missed in later years when, you know, we got a lot more legalistic and there's reasons for that. Uh, but in the old days, you know, it was a lot about a handshake and really doing what you said you would do. Mm-hmm. That reputation was really what helped build our business. And we started getting calls from other people around the country who complete strangers would call me up with a project, especially if it was, I think the other aspect of it, we tried to take on the most difficult jobs that there were because we started, we had competitors and most people quite truthfully are looking for the easy way. And I said, well, that's where all my competitors are. Let's find the hard and the difficult because one that'll separate us out from our competitors. And if we can do those well, those will establish a relationship with the customers that others um, don't have and probably can't get. And so taking on impossible tasks like, um, you know, building a building faster, uh, the, the interior side of it, building it faster than anybody else. Because I looked at the customer was paying rent in two buildings if they couldn't make those time windows. Mm. And when you're talking about rent on a 50,000 or 100,000 square foot building, you're talking about, you know, it could be a quarter of a million dollars a month in rent that they're paying when things don't go right. And so developing that reputation is actually what took us across the country. And people would hear about us and then be like, hey, can you come out? One of our first jobs was out in Virginia. We got a call from Virginia and said, and it wasn't a very big project, but they were in desperate need. Nobody could help them. Heard about us. And I'd be like, yeah. And uh, we flew out there. I think it was only about four of us that flew out there. We were done in a week and flew home and you know it was fantastic we 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 made good money at it they were super happy and you know just doing that consistently really grew our business to the the uh, nationwide um uh, position that it enjoyed when uh, when we sold it yeah so so early on it was you were the one i mean obviously you're in your 20s you're getting this thing you're the one out there you know screwing in furniture and whatnot. How did that evolve to where you could pull yourself out of the field work and into just managing and growing the business? How long did that even take? Yeah, that was a, that was an, that was an interesting uh, road for me to travel personally. Right. Um, And I think, especially as you start out, you know, as a very small organization and you're, you've got to become a master of all aspects. Right. And then you you start growing and you know before we knew it we had we had 40 guys in the field in our service side we probably only had about five or six on the on the dealership side but you know now you got 50 employees and you know are you still operating the business the same way and quite truthfully i struggled with that i probably spent a good 10 years trying to trying to do everything and um i think two things happened the business itself um, starts to develop and you can kind of see where where it's missing, right? And the other thing is the development, quite truthfully, of yourself, right? The CEO, you know, what is it that you 
What is it that you can do? What is it that you should do? And what is it that you want to do? And really making those choices. And my uh, leadership team uh, at one point pulled me out of the field. So I wasn't uh, in the field with my tool belt on and brought me back into the office because, you know, you really should be operating from this side, being the president and managing and letting us do that outside work. Hmm. And I did that for about two years and quite truthfully hated it. <laughs> and, and after two years of that, I said, nope. I said, I'm going back out in the field. And I said, because what I missed is I missed being uh, front face with the customer. And so at that point, I decided, all right, my time's going to be with the customer. Then I need to backfill myself in operations. And while when I went back out in the field, it wasn't so much just um, screwing uh, um, workstations together, but more customer contact, right? Um, spending time with them, making sure the jobs got started right, you know, just um, touching base in the middle, making sure it finished out right, doing the walkthroughs with the customer. So I could be the front man, if you will, the one who was engaged with the customers. Um, and I love that. And it was a great position for me. And I think every business leader, owner, CEO, um, depending on how big you want to grow your business, figure out where is it that you want to be? Where is it you should be? And um, I had some great mentors who helped coach me in that. And that really helped the businesses grow. Um, mm -hmm. Just, I think, getting the right place for me and then building the organization that suited um, what I was going to do and what I wanted to do. And you, grew your, you grew your business significantly. I mean, you ended up with a, a, a phenomenal organization and put you in a situation where you were in front of some very powerful people. I mean, some of the pitches that you ended up doing, some of the business that you got was uh, was with some very uh, household names, household brands. As you think back to all that, one of the things we highlight a lot of times is, you know, your best deal ever. In hindsight, is there one in particular that sort of stands out that you're particularly proud of? I and mean, that was that was a phenomenal deal that we landed that, that helped build your business. You know, I don't know if I, if I could answer it the way you asked it, but I'll tell you one of the one of the moments that probably made me feel um, the most um, honored. Yeah, um, we had a large project with one of our national customers. We worked with them across the country. They were one of the largest customers that we had. And we had a big project for them that was uh, uh, had a had a challenging schedule, running in advance, um, trying to make things work uh, to suit their uh, cash flow and their um, operations. And it was a four million dollar project, a little over four million, and we got a deposit check for two point two million dollars. And the vice president of contracts called me up. He runs the whole country. And uh, he the the request was on his desk to sign. And I had I knew this guy uh, quite well. I had had several meetings with him over the years. This particular customer we worked with for 35 years. And uh, he said, Bill, he said, 
I got a request sitting on my desk here for a deposit check for you for $2.2 million. And he said, he goes, you know, he goes, this is a pretty rare event for us. And he goes, you know, he goes, some people are probably wondering, is Bill going to take off to the Bahamas after he receives this check for $2.2 million? Um, <laughs> but he said, he goes, I wanted to just call and tell you that I am proud to sign this check and send it to you because you have done such a great job for us over these decades. Hey, bet I'm honored to give you this deposit check. It was the largest deposit check we'd ever received at that point. And I think, you know, to me, the, the, the wins aren't really about the volume, but they're about the trust that we developed with our customer. I had uh, keys, physical keys and electronic key cards from some of the largest customers across the country that allowed me to access their buildings uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, anywhere in the country. Some of them I had international um, uh, access to their facilities. And I remember uh, using those, um, those IDs and those keys in some of my presentations and even discussions with my employees that, I said, this is the greatest symbol of trust that we can be bestowed on from a customer that allows us to access their homes at will, freely, because they trust us that much. And I think that's, uh, to me, that's probably the greatest um, honor um, and reward that uh, I know we received. And uh, I hope that's the same for most businesses and entrepreneurs, that they get to that level of trust that their customers honor them with it. Wow. It seems like your business was really built on relationships and reputation. Did you have to do much marketing during that crazy growth trajectory or was it really just networking through your existing relationships? We did almost no marketing. Wow. Uh, Because it was about the relationships. And one of the things that, um, I had some coaches when we had one big customer, it was Qualcomm. And people said, uh, Bill, you can't just have one egg in the basket. That's just a really bad idea. And my response to that was, if you only have one egg in the basket, you know what you should do? Take really good care of that one egg. <laughs> yeah, right. And that one egg, we we were able to service Qualcomm from 600 employees to about 22,000. Wow. Now that's incredible growth for a customer, but also for us to be able to be there with them and serve them through the growth, through downsizing, you know. So, you know, when you're with a customer, we we were with them for probably 25 years as well. So, you know, you see a lot, there are a lot of the ups and downs that happen with any uh, business, whether it's large or small, right? You're going to have your up years, you're going to have your down. How do you navigate those, I think, is part of the challenge as well as part of the opportunity for um, uh, businesses and uh, leaders of those businesses to maneuver, to consider, uh, to prepare for. Um, and so it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, we were very fortunate that our marking was very limited. We had an outside sales force, so they were out developing their own relationships. Uh, but you know, we positioned our organization that we didn't we didn't hand off relationships; we just added to them. 
So salesperson would keep that relationship. Customer service would uh, get involved with it. Project managers, designers that we had on staff, everybody would come to the aid and the benefit of that customer and that opportunity. So the customer felt like they were, you want every customer to feel like they're the most important customer that you have. And um, I, I, I watched and studied a lot of restaurants because the ones that are really good, they do that really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to give that in a lot of my uh, sort of bill talks uh, in the organization as we were growing, you know, trying to help teach and mentor our employees to understand the importance of those relationships and how you engage with them, how you build trust and how you break trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your business grew from what, for about 30 years until you exited? Is that, is that a right in terms of time frame. What did your organization yep. look like? What did it grow into? How many employees did you have? How big, how big was your footprint when you guys ended up exiting? We, um, you know, after some of the uh, challenges with government, we, we sort of stayed somewhere around 40 to 60 uh, employees. You know, once you broke 60, especially in the state of California, there were different requirements. Hmm. Uh, so it just seemed to be more headache than that was worth. And between our two companies, because we kept our, we had our service company and our dealership. Both of those grew really well. Um, at the pinnacle, we were probably doing about $25 million on an annual basis. Wow. Um, and so consistently, we were, we were probably around anywhere from 15 to 16 million to 25 million collectively. Gotcha. And, and then what you, was, oh, go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say exit strategy as you, you did that for you. At some point, you came to a decision of it's time to call it. And then it's, it's sell the business. It's, you know, I guess what led to the decision of, Hey, it's, it's time. We've had a great run, the decision-making to, to essentially, and then what it was the exit strategy. How, how do you, how, how did you transition out of that? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, I think every uh, business, if it has a long life to it, goes through these different phases. Right. And, you know, the, I didn't have an exit strategy when I started. Um, and I do know friends of mine who did when they started, right. They want to build it up so they could sell it. Uh, selling it was never in my, uh, was never in my thoughts, uh, to build it, to sell it. It was actually build it. So it had a life, uh, of its own, right. Could I give this organization enough legs and ability and talent and experience that it could actually walk without its, uh, uh, that it could walk under new leadership and still go and grow. So that was its original intent. So we didn't really have that exit strategy in mind. Um, and it was, and as I got older, thinking about, all right, how do you now sort of, uh, Ken, this goes back to an earlier question, right? How do you sort of take yourself out of it a little bit because you want to do other things, Right. right? Yep. And so thinking about that and, you know, uh, you're going to need more than one front man if that's the case. And so developing the sales team um, and the rest of the organization to be able to um, take over accounts, to develop new accounts, um, became a real big focus. And um we, we tried several routes. We actually bought one of our competitors because they had a good sales uh, team and sales module. Uh, they had got themselves into trouble. 
um, financially. So um, it was it was a great uh, great opportunity. Um, we tried that. While it didn't work ultimately, it did show us certain things that uh, we were probably unaware of at that point about, you know, really making a sales organization um, run and run well, right? It was kind of, we had this great operational organization, but we really needed to bolt on sort of a, a sales module, if you will, that gave it a lot more, um, a lot more legs to it and could, and, and could run well. And so spent a lot of years trying to develop that going through uh, different structures, different sales managers. I tried to manage the sales team. Um, I don't think I'm a good sales manager. I might be a better uh, CEO than I am a sales manager. Um, and um, really trying to put those pieces together. And we were making great progress on that. Um, but it probably took five years to get to any sort of place of stability uh, where it would allow me to not have to be everywhere at all times. Um, I think the other thing too is, you know, with the size of the companies, developing the culture uh, became a real uh, critical component that uh, we needed to work on. And it was, that's another, probably one of my greatest uh, joys was developing the personality and the culture of the organization that was just so positive, so committed. Um, and it was a family environment. And, um, you know, uh, there are some who argue that's not the right structure for a corporation. Um, my experience, I'll argue it the other way that, uh, you know, it's and having a husband and wife team there because my wife was the CFO the entire time we were de develop, developing these two uh, corporations. Um, and that so we had kind of a father figure and a mother figure. Uh, that was, and she was always in the office while I was out in the field. She was always there, which gave, you know, great stability as well. So developing that culture, um, you know, given the organization a personality. And I think when it has a culture that is felt and understood by the employees and by the customers, that's a great marketing tool going back to your point, Ken, right? To be like, you know, we can feel that it's still the organization that we started with because of how your staff in a, uh, engages with us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's that became part of my success drive was not, you know, when we go back to 87, I'm just trying to make it so I can cover my family, right? Mm -hmm. Later on, probably in the in the 2000s and beyond, it was about developing the business so it could actually work for the employees, not just for the founders. Right. Um, and so spending time developing those people, coaching, mentoring, um, and, you know, even dealing with the different generations, right? Millennials. Wow. Millennials work a lot different. My customers were dealing with challenges of millennials in the, in the workplace. And so, we spent a lot of time in that, and I loved working with them. And we'd, I'd sit down with the designers in their workstation, helping them design in real time on the computer. And really, I moved myself out of the office. I sat in a little six by six cubes in the middle of all the employees and just would move around throughout the day. And it was at that point, Ken, I actually came back into the office, and I was okay with that, right? And 
and I would spend less time out in the field and actually help coach and mentor the people inside for them to be outside. Wow. Yeah. So what did that look like then in terms of, uh, of you, you felt like it was time where you approached by a company that said, wow, I love what Bill's built. We, we want to own this. How did that whole process of getting bought out or selling the business, how did that come, come about? You know, we've been approached uh, a few times in, in our history and I had turned them all down. And uh, it got to the point where uh, my wife, um, you know, she was, she would get up at 3.30 every morning. She'd be in the office before 6 a.m. She's normally there by about 5, leave there about 6 or 7 p.m. Wow. And she was just a working machine uh, dedicated to our staff, to our customers, uh, to her task at hand. And uh, I had tried to get her to retire multiple times. And, you know, she she enjoyed her work and wasn't going to give that up. And then one day she said, she goes, I'm, I'm ready. I said, uh, and she goes, I don't know how you're going to get me off this merry-go-round, but I'm ready to get off the merry-go-round. And uh, I said, all right, you know, that was, that was big news. Um, we, we prayed about it. You know, one of the things that was great for us is that, you know, during our journey of business, we actually uh, became born again Christians. And uh, that was a, that was another aspect we didn't touch on, but that faith component mm -hmm. really uh, exploded our business and really helped me understand the importance of those relationships and really invest myself uh, where my time should be. I was just counseling a, I was mentoring a, uh, a, a VP yesterday, somebody that I mentor on a regular basis. And, you know, he's challenged with how much work he has on his plate right now. And I took him through, I said, you gotta, you gotta really decide what it is you should do. And I said, and what you can do that others can't do. And uh, I said, by making those choices, you'll decide what you do and what you won't do. And I said, and both of those are really important decisions to make. So you can spend your time where your time should be spent and you won't waste your time where it shouldn't be spent. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a, that was a big lesson that I learned um, uh, after I came to uh, know Christ in my life and brought him into the workplace that I reprioritized my life um, mm -hmm. and put God number one, put my wife number two, my kids number three, and then work was number four prior mm -hmm. to that work was number one. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that would be one thing I'd want to share with everybody. That's not the right priority. Uh, it might seem like it at a point, And there are times where you're doing a lot of things to get that business off the ground, but understanding your priorities in life, don't chase balance, chase priorities. And I think that's, that, that works personally and it works professionally. Um, and so when Bobby made that made that decision we sat down we prayed about it for uh probably uh close to a week and really felt god's peace about okay it's time and um so i made a call and uh i made a call and uh to the president of the uh, publicly traded company that we represented and um, i had two strategies one involved them and one did not one had a future and one did not and he said, well, let's not talk about the strategy. It doesn't have a future, Bill. And uh, so we were able to uh, put a deal together. Um, you know, then 
the nice thing about something like that is that's not uh, it doesn't take time, right? You're dealing with a large company, depending on how your deal's structured, you know, uh, you can be done with the stroke of a pen. Wow. Um, one of the things that was challenging that I had not navigated before is because you're publicly traded, everything is done in secret. And, um, you know, you, these type of things can't be shared publicly until they're executed. Um, so that was a challenge for us. But what I liked about it is it, it got Bobby into retirement mode and it gave our companies the ability to still continue on, right? They were going to be owned by a much bigger organization than us. Um, and uh, they, the organization that was uh, acquiring us uh, loved our uh, financials, loved our people, loved our processes, our staff, our expertise. You know, they sent consultants out, did interviews. You know, I had their CPA and lawyers that I was dealing with for months and months. Uh, and it was, it was quite the process. I think, um, you know, I got to give God all the credit on that. Uh, I don't think I was smart enough to navigate that on my own, but uh, I love the fact that uh, it happened and it happened in a way that uh, um, worked well, I think, for all organizations and uh, all the people who were involved with it. Um, so I, you know, the challenge for me is I wasn't ready to retire, <laughs> um, but I got into this business originally uh, because I was uh, I was chasing a woman. And uh, when we went public on the day that it was announced, uh, the president and his executive staff of the publicly traded company was in our building uh, here in San Diego. And we were all there and they thought it was a big retirement party for, for Bobby. We had announced that portion of it. And uh, my, uh, in my talk with everybody, I said, you know, I got into this industry and got into this business for the love of a woman. I said, today, we're selling this company, I said, for the love of a woman. I said, it just, just so happens to be 35 years later, it's that same woman. <laughs> and because she is my priority, um, you know, we, we, we made that move. We made that transition. Uh, the company uh, kept me on. Uh, so I stayed on the organization for about another seven months. And they taught me how to run a publicly traded company, which I thoroughly enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, it has a, uh, there's a lot of regiment to it, uh, forecast, budgeting. We would scrub budgets and forecasts and quarterlies every 14 days. And the discipline that's required for it, as well as the cadence, was nothing I'd ever seen before. Mm -hmm. But it drove a lot of predictability that I had never seen before in my 30 plus years of running the business either. So I learned a lot. I loved it. It was great. And uh, hmm. so it was, uh, it was fun. And then, uh, yeah, I retired in 2019 for uh, a few weeks, maybe a couple months, and then uh, went to work at the college and uh, got to work with Kevin. And uh, that was a, that was another great point. Uh, you know, something I'd never done before. Wasn't sure I was prepared to do it, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised how applicable the things I learned in business were to uh, running and operating sort of any organization, I think, are very applicable. And I think, you know, anybody who gets into business, those lessons will serve you well, both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. 
Look, looking back on your amazing experience, starting a company, growing the company, selling the company, you know, I guarantee that we've got some listeners out there that you know are thinking of starting a business or already have a small business and would love to follow in your footsteps. They'd love to be on that same sort of trajectory that you were on. What what advice would you give somebody who who wants to do something similar, build, grow, and potentially sell a business? Well, that's a great question. You know, I think one of the things um, is I think you got to have your motivation, right? Uh, so think about, you know, really, why do you want to do it? You know, the other thing too, is, and throughout my history, I had several friends actually that I coached that, I, that I recommended, they actually sell their business because the, the worry, the anxiety, the fear, the responsibilities that come with owning your business, those will either make you a great business leader, entrepreneur, or they'll frighten you uh, to the point of um, uh, probably personal illness, right? Mm -hmm. The stress is massive. And I think if you have your motivation right, it builds those things. Uh, friends that I had that I would just watch them being crushed by all that weight. I'd be like, you know what? You're going to be better off working for somebody, sell your business. You'll be a great sales manager. You'll be a great number two, whatever it is. But the fact that you're, you're worried about every payroll, you're worried about every proposal, you're worried about every business to the point where you're not as productive and you're not definitely not as positive. Um, and I think that's, that's something that everybody should consider, right? If you haven't done it before, you know, it's easy to, to see all the beautiful green grass. Mm -hmm. uh, what you don't typically think about is, well, how did I get that grass green in the first place, right? So there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. If you're up for the hard work, if you're up for the challenge, if those things motivate you, then by all means, go and, and go well, right? So I would say that would be the first thing to consider is, What's your motivation? What's your position um, in starting this business? And then I think, I think the other thing that I would uh, second to that is what's your priorities, right? So what's important to you in your life? What's going to be important to your business, uh, to your customers, to your employees? Um, because that's going to allow you to make those decisions that say what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And I think you know, all of those steps are for those entrepreneurs who have done it and done it multiple times. Um, you, you see those steps now, right? You know what they are. They're very similar in any organization. Uh, but when you're starting out from scratch, you don't know. And so thinking about those priorities gives you sort of those, um, I think both of the points about knowing why you're doing it and the priorities sort of give you that compass, right? You're going to need that North Star to guide you into doing things that you haven't done before in areas that you don't know. And I'd say the third thing is if you can find yourself a great mentor, right? Coach mm -hmm. who's done it before. And, you know, that works personally as well, right? You know, if, if you've got a great mentor, who's, who's uh, got a great family, got a great marriage, those are people to lean on, to look to, to get engaged with. Um, and I think that will, definitely help you you know there's um i think there's plenty of people um similar to myself that uh love to do that 
would uh, be honored by coaching and mentoring people along. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, I think my children used to ask me, they said, Dad, how come, how'd you get so smart? I said, because I made more mistakes than anybody. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm not afraid to try new things, right? Yeah. So I said, when you try and you learn, I said, as long as you learn from those mistakes, you're going to be great. And so, you know, don't, uh, don't succumb to the fear of change. Don't succumb to the fear of the unknown, but actually embrace it. Try new things. You know, uh, there are plenty of resources now. I'll look at, you know, how business is done today and the things that you can learn on the internet about a business, about an organization, about people, even how to, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's tremendous, um, there's just tremendous experience that's available that wasn't available in the late seventies and early eighties. Mm-hmm. You only got that by direct networking. You know, you couldn't exit. We didn't have the internet back then. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I love it. I mean, I th- and I think that's spot on because uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of folks who were in your position before you started a business, before I started a business back in 2005, and they were the, it was always the grass is greener. This is why I want to I want to work for myself. I don't like this nine to five grind. Little do they know, half the year they're probably trading in a lot more work on the other side of entrepreneurship, a lot yep. more stress, but. But why? Why are you doing it? And some people are just wired to be in business for themselves, to be entrepreneurs, and they're okay taking it all on. But some people aren't. Like you said, you get into entrepreneurship, business ownership, and it's a lot of stress. It's a lot to carry. And that can, and are you actually, is your quality of life worse because of it rather than better? And so understanding yourself, kind of how you're wired, I think it's good to take a, you know, that assessment before you, before you dive in. I think that's spot on. Kevin, any last thoughts? This is uh, this has been incredible. Bill, thanks so much, man. We appreciate it. Bill's been a mentor to me. I've just so enjoyed uh, the time that he and I get anytime. And he didn't talk about. I know he still has mentors in his life. You know, here he's towards the yep. you know had built a built a successful business, sold it, is in a great spot, and yet he's still seeking out uh, people that are older, wiser, still has mentors who speak into his life. What a great model. You know, and I just admire, respect him so much. Bill, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Ken. It was great to meet you in person. I heard a lot about you and uh, um, it was uh, just great to be a part of this this morning. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks. Friends, thanks so much for making it all the way to the end of today's podcast. If you or possibly a friend has any interest in learning more about real estate investing or opportunities with Red Barn Home Buyers, take a minute and head on over to redbarnhomes.com and check out our investors page or our franchise page, or just drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Can't wait to see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.